When darkness covered the earth, God said, let there be light. When the Israelites were lost in the desert night, God illuminated their camp with a pillar of fire. When David was overwhelmed, still he sang, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? When humanity seemed forever lost, the prophets believed God would provide a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. When the wise men were seeking the newly born king, they followed the light of a rising star. And where death had darkened the world, that king, Jesus, cried out, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this year, as you plug in your Christmas lights, remember, the darkness of death has been banished by the light of the world. This morning we're going to conclude our series on His Name is Wonderful. And I'm glad that He is wonderful to us. He always has been and always will be. But His name, Jesus Christ, is wonderful. As we saw in that short clip that He is the light of the world. And at His birth, although ultimately we look forward to His crucifixion and resurrection... Yet that does not mean or does not say that his birth is insignificant. There are things about Christ and his birth, particularly Christ coming into this world, that forever change the course of humanity. One of the ways is in children, in, ancient, in the ancient world, children were routinely left to die of exposure, particularly if they were girls. They were not really looked that favorably upon. Jesus' treatment and teaching about children led to the forbidding of such practices as well as orphanages. And so um, a Norwegian scholar wrote a study of this impact simply entitled Why Children Became People, the Birth of Childhood in Early Christianity. And the birth of Christ and his treatment of children really brought children to be looked upon as uh, humans from society standpoint. Education was forever changed through Christ and um, Prior to him, education was typically held for the upper class, but uh, uh, schools such as Harvard and many other schools, Cambridge, Oxford, all began as Christian institutions to provide education. Compassion, Jesus' compassion for the poor, the sick, led to institutions for lepers, the beginning of modern-day hospitals, and even many hospitals now are called things such as the Good Samaritan or the Good Shepherd, because Christ really did change the course of compassion in this world. Humility, it was not a virtue that was accepted or looked upon in a favorable, favorable manner, manner in old ancient history. Yet when Christ came, he showed us what it meant to be humble, and he even reached down and washed the feet of his disciple. Forgiveness in the ancient world and virtue meant rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies. But with Christ, an alternative idea came from Galilee, which is best in life is to love your enemies and to see them reconciled to you. Humanitarian reform, Jesus consistently championed the excluded. His in, in, inclusion of women led to a community of which women flocked in disproportionate numbers to Christ. 
and many others came to him because of his perspective. This morning, as we can look at the series on His Name is Wonderful, this morning I want to conclude looking at the power of Christmas. What is the power of Christmas? What is it that makes Christmas so unique? In Luke chapter 1, in verse number 31 through 33, the Bible says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over this house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The power of Christmas, which is the birth of Jesus, is really not the birth itself, although there is much miracles in the birth of Christ, as we've looked over the last several weeks. The birth of Jesus was not the beginning of life, but rather a change in status. For the truth is, Jesus Christ existed long before Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not his beginning, but rather it was his beginning here on earth. But Jesus lived far beyond Bethlehem. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 16, the Bible says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Thus, the power of Christmas is that the Son of God would visit us in a human form, that we might see him, that we might behold him, and that he may lay down his life for you and I. And that through his visitation with us, that his birth brought, there were three things that were brought to us that is the power of Christmas. The first, as we mentioned just a moment ago in the little short clip, is that it is his light. Jesus Christ is the power of Christmas, and it is the light himself that he brings. In John chapter 8, verse number 12, the Bible says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. The power of Christmas is that Jesus himself became the light that shone in and upon our, this world that brought light himself. We find in Luke chapter 2 and verse uh, number 9, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly or sore afraid. As we read in Scripture, we find that it was the glory of the Lord that shone around about them. We know that the wise men were led to, to Christ, to Bethlehem, by a star. But what was it that shone upon the shepherds? Often we like to it portray in, in uh, television and plays that it was the angel that shone. But that is not what the scripture says. The Bible says, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. What lit the sky there over Bethlehem where the sheep were was not just an angel that was glowing and bright or a star, but rather it was the glory of the Lord himself that shone. Light had finally shone and come upon this earth. In Revelations chapter 21 and verse number 23, the Bible says, this is talking about heaven, the new Jerusalem. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God 
uh, illuminate it or shine upon it. And the Lamb is the light. Jesus is the light of eternity, and He is the light of this world. He is the light of our life. He is our life. Is He your light? There are some things about Jesus Christ that His light will do. First off, it will reveal our standing before God. It will reveal our standing before God. And then second of all, it will remove the darkness of sin. It will remove the darkness of sin. When we realize the light of Jesus Christ, it shines upon us. His light reveals who we are before him. For when his light comes upon, the Bible says, light cast out darkness. And when his light, his glorious light, shines down upon our life, it reveals to us our standing before God and our need before him. One of the reasons... That this world is so, what we would say, dark in sin, is that it is the light of Christ that is not shining upon men's heart. You see, we can try to do our best to have an impact upon society. We can try to change the direction of our country through the ballot box and the polls. But the truth is, there is no change until the light of Jesus Christ shines upon the heart of men. And it is only the light of Christ that will reveal sin and will bring men and women back to a walk and a fellowship with God that will forever make an eternal difference. Jesus Christ, his light, will reveal our standing before God. Many years ago, I came to to Christ when I was saved I had been in church I had been in I was religious as anyone I had the outward appearance of religion but inside my heart was still darkened with sin and it was not in my life until Jesus Christ's light finally shone in and pierced through the darkness that he revealed in my heart that I stood condemned before him and that I needed hope and salvation and that Jesus was my only hope. And when the light of Christ shone in my heart, I recognized that I stood condemned before him. It revealed my standing before God. But then the Bible says... Light shines that darkness flees. And when Christ's light came in, he changed me on the inside. He changed me on the inside. There was a new birth, the Bible says. Old things are passed away. The old things have gone. And behold, all things are become new. And when Jesus Christ comes into your heart, there will be a difference in your life. So we see here that the power of Christmas... The power of Christ's birth is his light. But second of all, we see that it is his love. His love. His love came and was revealed to us through his birth. In John chapter 15, verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. 
Jesus said that he loved us. In John 15, verse number 13, the Bible says, Greater love hath no one than this, than a man lay down one's life for his friends. We know that Jesus Christ is love, and his love has been revealed because he said he loved us, but he didn't just say that he loved us. He went even further and proved his love to us by laying down his life. And the Bible says you can have no greater love than to lay down your life. And what did Christ do? He laid down his life that he might show us the ultimate form of love that he would give him very, his very self for you and I. This morning, we passed gifts around with the girls and their faces lit up. And boy, we love to take pictures and try to capture the smiles upon the kid's face. And, uh, you know, th that's really uh, the joy of gift giving is seeing your children and the smile upon their face, I believe. That's the joy of it. And, and But why do we do that? Because Christ gave. He gave himself to us. But there is no gift that we can give there is no present that we can buy. There is no monetary thing that we could ever afford that would replicate or replace the love of God. That he, the God, the creator of the world, of the heavens and the earth, would come down and be born in, among mortal men and live his life perfect and sinless. And that us as humanity would spit upon him and beat him and crucify him because of his goodness and his love. And yet he did so willingly. That's the power of Christmas. It's his love. His love that sacrificed himself for us. His love that gave himself. He proved his love. But only that, his love, it sustains us. His love sustains us. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse number 3, the Bible says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with the loving kindness I have drawn you. His love is sustaining because it is an everlasting love. It's everlasting. I can't really comprehend or grasp just how long everlasting is, but I can tell you this much, it's a long time. An everlasting love. It sustains us. It never fails. We fail people, do we not? I, I try to love with all my heart, but my love falters. I can't love perfect like Christ does. I can try, but I can't love like he does. But his love is everlasting. It never ceases. It never fails. His love is not even dependent upon me. And that's hard for me to comprehend because often our love is dependent upon how it's reciprocated. And yet when we could reciprocate no love to God, when we did not love him, when we hated him, when we loved our sin instead of him, when we despised everything that was righteous and good, yet Christ still loved us and gave himself for us. And in spite of the times that I fail him, in spite of the times that I mess up and I let him down, his love never fails. It's a sustaining love. I'm glad that his love is greater than mine. Can you say amen this morning? 
But then thirdly, there is a third aspect of his power of his birth. It was his light, it was his love, but also it was his liberating power. His liberating power. His power that only loved us and shone down upon us, but it worked in our life and our hearts to set us free. In John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, the Bible says, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not abide by the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. His liberating power, he makes us free. We find that there is, he provides a life of fullness. A life of fullness. A life that is made free. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize or be touched with our weaknesses, but with all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. This word here that's translated weakness often is also translated as infirmities. Weakness is, in the Greek, asthenia. And it's the same word, again, that is translated either weaknesses or infirmities. It's the same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This word infirmities and weakness are both together. They mean that they're the same word in the Greek. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches in needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Too often we live defeated Christian lives because we are trying to live for ourselves and by ourselves. And the whole time God is looking and saying, if you will embrace your weakness and surrender to me, I can be strong in your weakness. Everybody wanting to have fullness of life. I do. I don't want to close my eyes in death one day and have a life full of regrets. Who wants that life? I want to have fullness of life. I want to live life to its very fullness that I might uh, you know, accomplish something in my life that lives beyond myself. And yet too often people live and die wanting fullness of life, wanting something that's eternal, but die and live a, a, a life that was lived full of regrets with nothing to show for it other than brokenness, hurt, pain, and sorrow left a trail behind them. How do we have fullness of life? Christ has liberated us that through our weakness, he can be strong. We can have fullness of life when we say, God, in my weakness, in my infirmities, 
I give my life to you. God, you live through me. Christ, you live through me. His liberating power has liberated us to live a life of fullness that only he can bring. But then, his life, his liberating power produces a life of his likeness. Of his likeness. He liberated us to be free from ourselves. That we may be like him. See, preacher, he liberated us to be free from ourselves. That don't make any sense. It does to me because, you know, if I look back over my life, who most of the problems have always come from, it wasn't everybody else. The problem started right here. I'm the problem. I get in my own way. I'm my own worst enemy. And, you're, and you are yours as well. But through Christ, he has liberated us to be free from ourselves, that instead we might be made like him. In Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ, my likeness. We find strength when our life reflects his light. We are consumed with reflecting our own light that we have neglected, letting his light shine through us. Most churches, most Christians need to go back to children's church, go back to Sunday school, and learn the song all over again. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's not talking about your light. That's not talking about yourself. That little light is the light of Jesus Christ that we're going to let his light reflect through our life. The problem is this world looks at us and very seldom do they see Jesus. They see our ambitions, they see our hopes, they see our interest in all the things that we are consumed with. But do they see the Lord Jesus Christ? Our lives should be like Christ. This world should see him and not us. If we let his light shine, then the light that shines from us, not our light, but his light, that shines and reflects from us and through us will be bright enough to pierce the darkness of this world. This world's dark, is it not, this morning? And a lot of times, the church, we like to complain and talk about how dark the world is. The problem isn't how dark the world is, and that is an issue, but do you know why the world's dark? It's not because they're dark. The world's always been dark. The problem is the church, the Christian, the believer, we're not reflecting the light of Christ. So if the world's in darkness, it's not their fault, it's your fault, and it's my fault. We need to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. Our goal should not be to bring glory to ourselves, but rather to bring glory to Christ. 39.2% of all shoppers will purchase a department store gift card followed by 33.4% who will opt for restaurant gift cards. However, according to the Journal of State Taxation, 
the typical American home has $300 in unused gift cards. These are often misplaced, thrown out, or partially used and never finished. Furthermore, between 2005 and 2011, this number shocked me, between 2005 and 2011, six years, $41 billion in gift cards were unused. $41 billion with a B. That's a lot of gift cards. That's a lot of money thrown away. That's $41 billion in landfills, unused, misplaced, thrown away. The purchase was made, the gift was given, yet it was not cherished. It meant nothing to the one who received it. Jesus Christ is worth far more than $41 billion. He came, he sacrificed. He paid the price. According to Romans 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse number 23, he gave the gift. And yet many will stand before him one day without Christ, without hope. And in that day, he will say, depart from me. The power of Christmas is not just that Jesus came, but it's what that represented. His birth represented God in the flesh, who says it was tempted in all what manners that we are, yet without sin. He, he, he knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to face temptation, yet he never even thought of sinning. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was without blame. And he, cru he was crucified and died and shed his blood for you and I. The price has been paid. The gift has been given. But what will you do with Jesus? Will you accept the gift? Will you cherish it? Or like so many others, will you toss it to the side and say, I don't need it. I'm okay without it. This morning, He is power of Christmas his name is wonderful he is Jesus but his name is wonderful but it's only beneficial if you accept it it does not matter that the price has been paid it does not matter that the gift has been given if you reject it, you will never experience the benefit of him. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, I wonder, 
Do you know Christ? Have you gave your heart to Him? Do you know that if you died right now that you would go to heaven because everything in your heart is right with God? You've made arrangements. You've accepted that gift. I wonder this morning, can you say, Pastor, I know that I'm right with God. I know I'm ready to die because I've given my life to Christ. Pastor, I know that I'm saved and heaven's my home. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? No one looking around. Would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I know. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Back down, if you would, put your hands down. This morning, all around the sanctuary, there were hands that could not be raised. There is no prayer that I can pray or that you can pray that's going to magically take everything away. Salvation comes by this and this alone. Christ has gave himself and he said, if we would confess our sins. If we would repent in our heart and say, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. God, I recognize that I stand condemned to hell because of my sin. God, but I believe that your son, Jesus, that you are the son of God. God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And Lord, I'm placing my faith in Jesus and him alone. This morning, if you would pray right now, and you would tell God that, he says, you shall be saved. It's a promise according to his word. Right now, if you couldn't raise your hand, and you could not say you knew heaven was your home, I encourage you right now, would you pray? Right there where you're sitting, would you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I know I stand condemned. God, but I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And God, I give my life to you. Right now, would you pray and give your heart to Christ?